good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Six Rings King Show on a new night, Monday night now, baby. We're really excited, actually, to have Eric McLean on the show here, college football analyst, co-host of the Huddle. Coach, yes, all right. First touchdown of the year. Miami Hurricanes, yeah. You know the name already. It's Merced. Ha ha. It's the Six Ring Cane Show. Can't forget the name, though. Got Jazz Blue Vision DJ break the game code. Ain't no changing up. Ain't no breaking up. Real port alive from the Hall Ride Stadium. Ball 14 for the orange or green. We see the Six Ring Champs. It's more than a dream. This is life on the field. Beyond 100 yards of Hurricane. wrong with us seriously what's wrong with us we're miami hurricanes fans welcome to the six rings cane show a show dedicated to miami hurricane sports featuring the legendary larry bluestein jazz santana vish and danny gillette let's go canes hello hello welcome to the six rings cane show i am obviously not jazz santana um he, he might be he might be making a surprise appearance but Looks like it'll be the three of us today. Blue, Blue, how's it going? Doing good, doing good, guys. It's uh, what a time it is uh, to be a, a sports fan, especially here in South Florida. Men and women going to the big dance, baseball team with a big uh, weekend in the ACC. Um, yeah, spring training, sixteen-year-old catchers and uh, with the Padres now, and I could, I saw, I couldn't believe that sixteen-year-old catcher. Uh, for the Padres in spring training. Wow. They, there are some good jokes going on there, you know, talking about this. Oh, yeah, mom, that- mom had to take them to practice. <laughs> but, yeah, no, this is a good time. Spring football. Uh, you know, we have spring break coming up and uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to get over there probably next week uh, to watch them practice. So it's uh, things are coming out, you know, from what I hear down, you know, for the first couple of days, everybody is excited. Um, you know, it's kind of a feely out process for all the new coaches um, and a lot of hard work going on. And uh, I just don't think a lot of the kids coming back were satisfied with the way the uh, season ended and, and uh, having to watch teams like New Mexico and Eastern Michigan play on, in bowl games, I don't care which ones, but they were playing. And I think that that's going to be a, a focal point this year is to to get much better each and every year. And I think it starts this spring. Awesome. Yeah. What about you, DJ? How's it going, man? It's going good. I'm excited. Like Blue said, it's a busy time of year. A lot of uh, March Madness basketball. We have spring football coming up or already here in some cases. And, you know, it's just – I see in my neck of the woods the pathway towards warmer weather. I live up in the Northeast, and uh, we're going to get some snow uh, tomorrow, so it's not warm yet, but there is light at the end of the, of the tunnel, so I'm just happy for some warmer weather to be hopefully around the corner. Yeah, we'll get into that in a minute. I, I am I am going to Albany to watch this basketball team play. So, oh, I, nice. Oh, that's going to be fun. I, I'm going to avoid. It looks like I'll avoid it because it looks like the bat yeah, snow is coming it. through tomorrow. Yeah, it comes so. through before you yeah. get there. Yeah, so yep. so we'll we'll see. I 
God, I hope they at least win the first game. I don't know what I'm going to do at Albany all weekend if they don't, but oh, travel man. plans remain contingent on winning that game, so I'll be moving flights around and eating a bunch of money to get out of there if we lose. Um, yeah. Well, <clears throat> a capital, uh, so there's got to be something. Well, I think that's why it was actually an easy flight for me because I think so many politicians like from the New York State come to Washington to lobby, so it was just a bunch right. of puddle jumpers going back and forth. I was like, wow, there's so many flights because it's capital yeah. to capital. But. Unlike here, where Tallahassee is probably, you could you could fly to Israel for what you, you fly, <laughs> fly to Tallahassee. So Yeah, yeah, that was an easy, easy flight and, and a lot of flights, so hopefully it just, you know, the weather doesn't impact, which it shouldn't. Shout to some people in the chat. Fernie, good to see you, man. Uh, Gus, Mr. Overdose as well. Um, and Al Doberling. Don't, hey, Al. Don't, hey, Al. Um, sorry if I mispronounced your name there. Uh, yeah, so I guess before we kind of get into it, we'll definitely unpack some of what Blue talked about. We'll also talk a little bit about the Hoops teams because it's a big, big weekend for them. Um, but first, let me go ahead and, uh, since I always yell at Jazz for not doing this in a prompt manner, <laughs> let's go ahead and do price facts. All right, so... Shout out to our sponsor, PricePicks.com. Um, kind of our original sponsor, long-term sponsor of the program. Um, we're running a deal with them, which we've been running, which is they'll match your deposit up to $100 when you sign up with the offer code 5. That's F-I-V-E. F-I-V-E. You can see it scrolling across the bottom. It's available in most um, states and, and municipalities. Uh, I got to throw that in there because DC is not a state, but it is available here. Um, so... <laughs> Um, so if you're in orange, you're good to go here, but basically it's simple. If you ever frankly bet and you've done a parlay, it's very similar to that. So that you're just betting over unders on statistics. Um, the more, uh, it's two to five, uh, things you can bet on. The more you layer in there, the more, oper- the, the higher the upside is just again, very similar to just a, a parlay in a, in a normal, uh, gambling sense. So, uh, yeah, if you have not taken part yet, it's a really fun way to, uh, to make some money and also to, uh, to enjoy the games differently, especially if, you know, let's say your, uh, your Miami Heat aren't really, uh, you know, ringing the bell for you <laughs> anymore. You can still watch the NBA and get it here on PrizePix. So anyway, that's PrizePix.com, offer code 5, that's F-I-V-E, sign up today and uh, match your first uh, deposit up to $100. Um, so yeah, check out our sponsor, support the show, and and have some fun. Yep. All righty. Uh, so, Larry, actually, there's a question uh, for you, which uh, I guess I'll just let you answer. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm still here. Uh, it's a process. It's uh, still getting, you know, it's been a year and uh, breathing is still not where it was. And the uh, my taste is not fully back, but uh, I'm on this side of the dirt. So that's uh, I got to be happy for that. But, yeah, still doing a lot. Um, you know, have camps every weekend and, uh, you know, we get the good, I was at, up at on, Under Armour, like I told you guys last week and then Rivals is in two weeks, but it's down in South Florida. Thank goodness. Because I mean, they think what they're doing is I, they figured that the South Florida kids will travel like to Orlando or Tampa. So, but not everybody wants to come to South Florida. Um, but there's a lot of targets. You know, I mean, a lot of targets uh, in, you know, in that um, that's that coming that's coming to rivals. And uh, I know that uh, a lot of excitement for recruiting this time of year. And uh, yeah, uh, 
Sorry to be long-winded with that answer. But, uh, <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's good. We're obviously very happier on on this side of the dirt. I've never quite yeah, heard that yeah. health assessment phrase that way, but I think yeah. you know, for if you um, if every everyone was kind of with us last year, as kind of Larry was going through a lot, it's awesome to have you back on the show and full of energy. Yeah. So I'm happy you're able to Absolutely. be long-winded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. That, that itself is, is awesome. So yeah, yeah. Well, I could honestly I listen that. to you tell stories all day. I really could. I could name you a Miami player, and you could probably tell me a story, and I would be extremely entertained. Yeah. I really would. Well, you know, the whole thing is now. There's a people are looking back at some of the the past teams, and you know, back in the '70s mm. and the '80s, and you know, you go on some of those websites, and I I like that because I mean, because you look all those years and last year we we said may have been one of the worst rosters they've had even back in the 70s because you remember in the 70s they would they beat texas and they beat usc and they beat georgia when all those teams were you know highly ranked knocked off university of texas uh you know 73 and i was we were at the game but i'm just saying even though they weren't highly thought of you know nationally i mean they had their eight two and one seasons and they had their seven and three seasons but um you look at some of the players that came out of that era and the chuck foremans and the you know the ted Hendricks, who i arguably in my estimation is still uh the best hurricane ever a three-time consensus all-american didn't have the the studs that the jerome browns and uh you know ray lewis and such, and Ned Reed had to play around him. He had only one other, uh, uh, Eddie Dunn was the only uh, other guy who played, you know, in the NFL when he was on that team. So, you know, you look back at him, and I, I'm really encouraging. I told a lot of people in Miami, you got to get him to the, uh, to that paradise or whatever they call it now. Got, why? Why wouldn't he? His name's up there. All the kids, you know, they wouldn't know him, but I mean, you know, here's a, you know, He'd probably easily be the most photographed guy of the day. And, uh, and he's still active and, you know, big Raider guy and comes back to South Florida a lot. And uh, yeah, I'd like to see, because that's, that's part of the history that made this team what it is. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, I look, sometimes I'll run, you know, some of the older, you know, schedules like from the sixties and, I mean, if they played some of those schedules these days, everyone would like commit suicide. I mean, the Alabamas and, you know, Penn States in a year and, you know, playing USC and Georgia and, you know, all in one season. And, and, you know, back in the day, I mean, Miami was an independent. So they had a pretty much fish out of 10 games. So it was never easy. But you, they always knew they could get Alabama every year. They knew they, you know, Notre Dame would pop in there. Uh, you know, they play Navy, they play Army, uh, and it just shows you how beneficial being in a uh, conference is because you have eight games pretty much, you know, taken care of for you. And, you know, I mean, but I look at some of these other early schedules like Ohio State, that's embarrassing so with some of the teams that they play. You know, at least Miami plays A&M, you know, uh, you know, outside the conference. But they don't – some of these teams are going to really – you know, they're going to be they're going to be 12-0, and 0, and uh, they're going to go to the playoffs, and, and uh, it's going to be the same thing over and over and over again. I think next year changes a little bit 
not this coming year, although this coming year you'll see. I don't think UCF will be making any national championship claims for a while. I saw their schedule. Holy moly. Uh, yeah, finally they're playing some. But I'm talking about when Ale when uh, Texas and Oklahoma come into the SEC. Yeah, well, the you know the they raised the bar a little bit, and um, yeah, that's and then we don't know the uncertainty what's going to happen to the Pac-12 after those two teams leave because certainly the Utahs and the you know Oregon's and the Washingtons and Stanford's certainly are you know are, are very you know they're they're good teams to have in your conference for a number of reasons, but what happens with the ACC? I still hear Miami rumblings of Miami going into the Big Ten. It'll be the Big 30 by that time they get there. That'll be tough because USC and UCLA are coming in next year as well. So that's Yeah, yeah that, but it, that's it, what I'm saying. Yeah. Now, you know, what USC and UCLA mean to that conference now is the recruiting. Because now a Rutgers or a Maryland mm -hmm. could start using Southern California. Mm -hmm. You know, as a base, because even though they may play them once every four years or so, at least they're they're playing them and they're going to be visible in their conference. And and that's the one thing that, you know, has made Notre Dame what they were, because they play that global schedule from West Coast to East Coast and in the South. And um, I think that's going to be beneficial. And I'm anxious to see what happens to Miami. I, you know, does the ACC stay together? I certainly feel that they have enough you know, teams, I think they have to, I always felt that South Carolina should go in the ACC where you could create a Clemson rivalry. You could create a Carolina rivalry. That'd be fantastic. Like. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, I mean, I always felt about that. And, you know, cause now you have Virginia, Virginia tech and you have the Carolina teams and Clemson's kind of the only team in South Carolina, you know, in the ACC. And then down here you have South Florida, you got, you know, Florida and Florida, uh, Florida State and Miami. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, I just think that there's a lot of looking forward. I don't think – I think just by the, the fact that they're expanding the playoffs that there's going to be something new every year, you know. I mean, just like this yeah, year I mean, in baseball, they went took the shift away. <laughs> so, well, uh, not in college yet. They're still, no, uh, no, they're still no, piled no. up on one half of the field. Um, yeah. To Mr. Mr. Ovidos's point here – you know, that scheduling, that was a lot more fun. Uh, and I'm hoping, um, good point, you know, it's totally different when you're playing outside in freezing weather. It's not, you're, a lot of your uh, fancy off. There's a reason Michigan yep. plays the way they play. That's going to yep. get through the seasons. Um, but I'm right. hoping this playoff expansion will lead to more cross cross country games because I agree because I one agree. loss when you when there's 12 teams in the playoffs or one loss is not going to ruin your season whereas before right. it's like you got to go undefeated you're not going to play anyone because it's not worth yeah. the risk and it's also a good recruiting tool like if you're a good program even if you don't necessarily you know are a national championship contender every single season you can at least offer up the prospect of playing in the expanded college football playoff and I think that means something to some kids as well obviously they want to win the whole thing but I think you know, just the idea that they could potentially make it to the national championship game and it's not just, you know, the Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, et cetera. I think that's going to mean something, too. Yeah, yeah no, I agree. The, the interesting thing for the ACC is these schools have kind of given away all their rights. There's no easy way to get out of this. And they're locked into a long TV contract that's way undervalued. 
So this is just like ESPN's getting them for cheap and there's no way out of it. So even though, you know, FSU last week basically wrote a sternly worded letter, it doesn't mean anything. And, you know, I do think Miami would be most attractive to the Big Ten. One of the things that that happens with the Big Tens, the way their network works, when they expand into new states, they get a multiplier on their TV contract based on the population of the state, which is why they went big into California now. Like, they're going to clean up on that just automatically. They have and, the Midwest. They have... Well, if they can move up, into... If they get Miami, yeah. they're now moved into Florida. They have again, the Midwest, is, they have Florida, and then, then they have the West Coast. And New York and New Jersey because of Rutgers. Well, they have New Jersey is what counts because that's technically where Rutgers is. They do True. have that market. Although big, the Big Ten is already the biggest... Yeah. Um, market in, in in the northeast anyway like that right. is because all their alums end up working like on wall street and stuff yep. so <laughs> they're just like yeah. they saturate the, the big ten, the big ten saturates new york anyway there's not really a college there but like their alums are but yeah florida's a good market for them to break into and miami's an easy to travel to distance yeah. is a pain but easy to get to it's a three-hour flight from basically most of the big ten other than the two new schools and that's also yeah. why they went to the LA ones. It's easy to get to LA. It's there's a, it's easy to travel there because you got for the football teams. It doesn't matter. You're gonna charter a plane and go. But a lot of these non-revenue sports, like you got to be able to fly commercial sometimes. And just having the major metropolitan centers makes it easier to to, to travel to. So I do think Miami would be attractive. I don't see how they get out of that TV contract. I think the ACC really needs to expand to break that contract. And you know, there's not much. I mean, do they really go for like Oregon and Washington and that that all the way like literally the opposite end of the country? That's no, but long... they could get Notre Dame and West Virginia. Well, I mean, if they could get Notre Dame, they would get Notre Dame. I think they've been. I think that's why they've been complacent. They've been holding out on this Notre Dame dream, and they kind of everyone else has passed them by because they've been they've been basically holding a spot for Notre Dame and not really willing to add because they're going to get Notre Dame and then. Never well, Notre Dame has their own TV contract, don't they? Like yeah, they have their they own. Did. Yeah, I can they... see why they wouldn't want to leave that. Yeah, and and Notre Dame's an ACC school in everything but football, yep. so they still and I think they have some exclusivity there, but um, but there's just like there's a to me it's a pipe dream. Notre Dame's never going to join full yeah. as a full member, and they need I to agree. to just move on. And frankly, they should just. I mean, I'm I'm honestly wondering if the non football sports are even worth it they should say either join or get out <laughs> go somewhere else no, i like, agree like and and because i i don't think like knowing basketball program is that valuable or their baseball certainly isn't like they're so i to me they should have played hardball with them but instead they're like kind of stringing them along trying to hope hey one day no name's gonna come over here because that would be a game changer for the contract if they expand yeah, they can break the contract it'll probably be the most expensive they could put Miami Notre Dame on TV every year and it would oh, explode. Yeah. Like so um Notre Dame Clemson there. Yeah, I mean yeah. No, it would it would be a complete game changer, but I don't think that's realistic. The other no. the other thing I mean they should look at is there are schools in in Dallas and kind of a little bit less successful in Houston, but those are huge markets where if you expand into, you can get a lot of eyeballs on your product. And yeah. a lot of recruiting angles there. And you're getting your team showcased in major. Like, imagine how big it would be for Wake Forest to be in Dallas every other year or something and showing their – like, Miami gets national exposure anyway. Florida State does. Clemson does. But some of those middle-tier programs could really benefit from having, hey, 
you know, because just like with Florida, right, those second and third tier Texas kids can play. And, hey, we come play in your state every other year. We, we play a bunch of games here. You can come to, to Duke or Wake Forest or even Georgia Tech because they get right. dominated locally by Georgia. And, hey, you'll get you'll be able, your family able to see you play. You know, this is a major conference. And, and I think that's that's potentially where they can expand other than, like I said, decide to just screw geography. <laughs> We're going to go the opposite of the quarter because I think the only attractive pieces for them out of the, the Pac-12 would really be the – the Washington and Oregon school, probably just Washington and Oregon, not the States. Right. <laughs> but, well, you um, made a good point about, you know, those, the teams have their own charters, but getting fans, you know, that they don't have to spend $1,100 on a round trip flight just to go to a, and you look at the sec without, with the exception of Nashville, all the programs are in one horse towns. I mean, you know, Gainesville, Starkville, Tuscaloosa, and it's not so easy to, to fly into those areas. I mean, yeah, there's adjacent uh, 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 cities like Atlanta to Athens, which is an hour away. And, you know, the, and you have uh, Birmingham, like 35, 40 miles away from uh, uh, Tuscaloosa. But at the same time, you may, you have to think about your fan base and they travel and you don't want to, you don't want to put them in the poorhouse. I mean, just, uh, you know, but I, there's a lot of reasons why the ACC should take on and you're right. Getting a TCU or a program like that in there would be, it would be great. Uh, it would be great for all sports because TCU plays, you know, pretty good in basketball. They're really good in baseball all the time. And uh, the, and it's amazing because I look back, back in the seventies and the eighties, and T, they used to have this uh, uh, thing in the local paper on a Friday called the Bottom Ten, and TCU was always in, like the number one team in the Bottom Ten, and how how times have changed. And in Arlington now, you know, I mean, it's a bigger area now, and Fort Worth, and you know, the Dallas area is all one, and uh, great TV market. Uh, yeah, and that's why the Big Ten probably is uh, giving USC and UCLA anything that they want uh, because of getting that West Coast exposure, not just West Coast exposure in Palo Alto or Corvallis, but in L.A. where there's uh, uh, millions and millions of, uh, of people. And, um, yeah, I think it would be good. Uh, you know, I mean, you have Miami is a – no matter what, Miami's always going to be a, a product that everybody wants to come here. I mean, you know, 12 Super Bowls and all that stuff couldn't be wrong. And uh, all the major events and the Grand Prix now that they have down here. And yeah, I, I think that Miami is in a good position. Uh, I credit the new athletic director for upping the ante in all their sports. And they have, I just think that they need to add, um, women's softball somewhere along the line. And I think they need to add wrestling uh, because uh, with the exception of Florida state and Georgia tech, everybody else in the ACC has wrestling. Virginia has it. Virginia tech, NC state, North Carolina, they're all wrestling powers and uh, doesn't take a whole lot. And, you know, you get a Midwest coach and, you know, maybe grab one person from the Florida area and start recruiting. Those kids would love to, and even the studs, from Eastern Pennsylvania and in Indiana. I mean, 
they would love to come and wrestle down in, in South Florida mm. in, in December and January. So there's a lot, there's a lot to be said, the new facility. Um, I just think that the next couple of years, things are going to blow up. Football team's going to obviously be better and they're going to continue to get better. And uh, everything I think, and, and even people who are not Miami fans will tell you things are a lot better in college football when Miami's winning. And, you know, as much as everybody may, quote unquote, hate them, they all know that when Miami's winning in football, the, the landscape changes a little bit. Positive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's certain programs like whether you love them or hate them, you know, the Miamis, the Notre Dames, there's certain program names that draw attention to the sport, good or bad. And, sure. it, makes for, and it makes for a fun rooting, you know, atmosphere every Saturday and you know, in postseason play. And, you know, I think if Miami could get good again, I think that would be, you know, wonderful for the sport because it would bring the program that we all knew as a very successful program to a younger generation and, you know, kind of help propel it into the future. Yep. Yeah, just looking through some of the comments or if enough schools in the AC grade jump ship where there's no ACC to object. I don't know if that's actually realistic just because there's enough core schools that will never – Jump ship. I mean, the like. I don't see the Carolina schools ever. No, college won't anywhere. Um, no. And I think that's that's. And then you'd have to pay them <laughs> like an yeah. exorbitant amount to get out. So and Louisville is, and Syracuse are comfortable being in there. And, yeah, and they, and, and yeah. not everyone's like like Miami, Clemson, Florida State have options. A lot of these schools don't. North Carolina yeah. would, but they'll never leave where they get to run the conference, which is no, what no. happens here. So. Boston College already jumped from the Big East to the ACC, so I mean they're they're well. Uh, see, but this is yeah. the thing, right? If there is a restructuring and a shakeout, there's a zero percent chance Miami or Florida State gets left behind. Right. There oh, is yeah. definitely a oh, chance yeah, that, no. that Boston College, yeah. And Syracuse, yeah, 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 yeah. So they're oh, gonna yeah. they're gonna they're gonna hold firm here because yep. They could easily get, you know, as a shakedown, you know, end up as not a major program anymore. We saw that with the Big East teams and the Miami, you mentioned, you know, leaving the Big East. When Miami yeah. left, that was kind of the end of the base as a major conference. And there were teams in there that were in a major conference that all of a sudden weren't. UConn, and, I and think, right? It was it was UConn. Pitt left a little bit later. The they they hung around for a year. No, it was it was like Temple and Rutgers. Uh, Rutgers ended up back in the Big Ten, so they made out better on that deal. But they did. You know, there were there were these programs that that were major programs, all of a sudden weren't, and some of them didn't even play football and their basketball program had to go find homes. Like it was messy. And you're and you're looking at, you know, some of these schools, frankly, are just historically just dragging on coattails because football is the king. You can be right, a great right. basketball program, it doesn't doesn't pay the rent. It's football. And yeah. these teams that like no one cares about in football are exposed and they know it um, as bad as Miami's been. And Ben's definitely, you know, <laughs> it's a nice joke, but Miami's always relevant, whether they're good or not. Um, and that's not the case for other programs. And, and so I think, you know, there, there's exposure there, which I think would prevent a full collapse of the ACC just because, you know, there are a lot of programs that wouldn't have a good landing spot. So I, I think it's much more likely the ACC tries to expand than that, but actually I think they're probably just going to sit on their hands. They seem to be quite comfortable doing that for whatever reason and, you know, getting ripped off on the, uh, on the TV contract seems to be the, uh, the, um, 
the the way things are going in terms of adding UTSA. I just don't think they have any cachet to bring anything to the table. I think you need more than that. I would I, add TCU before I add them. Yeah, TCU. Yeah. Well, I, I uh-huh. guess the question is because hilariously, the Big Twelve TV contract is better than the ACC's now. So <laughs> by break by breaking it and adding TCU, and this is by the way, this is the new contract without Oklahoma and Texas. It's still that's how bad the ACC contract. Well, you. Here's the thing, too. Now you've added Memphis, Orlando, Houston into yeah. the, into the Big Twelve, so that you know that's that's a big deal. I think yeah. those are three really large markets. Right. So I mean, you're going to be in an arms race there for the ACC, and you're like, hey, let's try to poach these schools. What you know? What can you what can you get out of ESPN or whoever the TV partner is going to be when you're able to break the contract to justify that and Probably a lot, to be honest, but you'd have to also convince someone to come come with, and and you know the yeah. bigger the bigger fish you go for, it's just like in recruiting. If you go for the five star, it's hard to get them. <laughs> so, I do think the Pac twelve is still ripe to to maybe grab the Seattle market, for example. Um, and you know what? Maybe even like Colorado. There, yeah, and, and, and Colorado doesn't have enough to offer. The, the their sports programs are horrible. Across the board, they have Dion. I don't, yeah, we're all gonna, we're all gonna, we're all gonna enjoy that that complete. I, I think, I think we all know where that's going. You said no, that yeah. the uh, Pac-12 doesn't have the Seattle market, but what about Washington? Where do they like? Is no, no, that, that is the Seattle market. market. No, okay, no, okay, no, okay. So I was saying if you yeah, want to okay. go to the Seattle uh, market, you. you can get Washington. Gotcha. You know, the Arizona schools are in play. There's, there's stuff out there, um, but. That is a long way away from the the ACC. Um, it's a long way away. It's all the way across the country. Yeah, there's uh, nothing Atlantic about any of those. Schools. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of interesting because for for college hockey, for example, Notre Dame joined Hockey East. Now, Hockey East is all New England schools. So when it, when push comes to shove, geographically, you know, it may not matter in the end. It's all about the money. So as far fetch as it may seem, it could happen. No, it could. Yeah, I mean, the, the definitely. No, I mean Maryland and USC are in the Big Ten. That's the exact opposite ends of the country. <laughs> yeah. So, but to do that essentially geography break and move. Yeah. No, it's you not do, easy. You do you doing that for Arizona? This no. isn't USC or UCLA. They're gone. So you're really yeah. talking about like the schools the Big Ten decided they didn't want. So. <laughs> so um, it might actually be worth at least in the short term for the ACC because they can get out of the TV contract. Just even renegotiating with the existing footprint would be a huge amount of money that they're currently not getting out. So basically, adding a school could could be a game changer. I just there's not a lot of good options right now, so I expect them to kind of sit on their hands and see where it goes. Well, enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Champion and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet when you register with BetMGM. You'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code Champion and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line. 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. I plan to do 30 minutes on a... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so far realizing that it's the off season. Let's talk a little bit about, about our current gains and uh, so so blue. You had kind of touched on at the at the intro um, about you know how how kind of the new staff is coming together and, and kind of the work being put in. So I will say you know we heard a lot of this last year as well. Man, we've never worked this hard, and then we saw the product. Of the so do do you sense that there's something different this time? And like what 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 do you see that is because I know you're very plugged in. Uh, what do you see as different than, you know, last year at this time when we all were very excited and getting all these reports about, man, now they're really working hard this time with them, you know? Yeah, well, I think you're 100% right because last year at this time, you know, here's a Coach Gaddis who was obviously a hot commodity being uh, the Broyles Award winner and one of the best, you know, assistant coaches in, in America. So we were really excited uh, to see him. I don't know if anybody was as excited for Coach Steele. Uh, they kind of figured here's Charlie Strong at 61. You know, he's been a head coach. He's, you know, he's been there, kind of done that. Does he have that energy? I think that's the one thing that's different. Uh, you have guys who are at that age of of their careers, um, whether it would be uh, Dawson or, you know, or, or uh, a Tim Harris or, a, you know, I mean, or, you know, any of the guys that they got in the offseason, they just seem like they're more plugged in. Uh, you know, to turning this program around rather than just, you know, using Miami as a destination. I mean, you know, we all saw that, uh, you know, Gidry, a fiery guy, people already talking about him all right already. I mean, I heard Cam Kinchins um, after one of the practices and somebody asked about him. He goes, hey, you know, he's he's keeping everybody on their toes and that was missing last year. So, you see the difference there. Uh, you see the difference already with, uh, you know, with the Tim Harris working with, and not to say Kevin Smith wasn't a good coach because he was, but I don't think he really wanted to be here. I think it fit him to be here more than, you know, uh, you know, than the university of Miami fitting him. I think it fits Tim Harris. I think it hits Ke- fits Kevin Beard uh, Nicholson too. I mean, this is a guy that no nonsense player, no nonsense coach, uh, and, and, you know, I mean, the Cordy flags of this world got to be elated because here's a guy that's going to teach them things, not to take anything away from Charlie. Cause I like Charlie strong. He's a good dude. And I've known him for a long time, but I don't think the energy was there last year. You know, when you're head coach and I said it often, you know, the jazz would, I, and I would be in the press box for the, our pregame show. And, um, and I would look down and, Mario Cristobal was the most animated guy. That shouldn't be. All those head, co- all those assistant coaches should, you know, I mean, they should be in the ears, and everybody should be. You know, I'm not saying rah rah, but you know, you got to have energy in Miami. Oftentimes, in that Middle Tennessee State game, holy oh. man, a youth football league team had more energy than that. And and those are the things, you know. I mean. They, there's a lot to be said for that. And, and yeah, they, you know, Steele had 37 years of coaching experience and I'm sure that uh, Gidry doesn't, 
But at the same time, he's uh, he's a fresh face that has been establishing himself for quite a few years. And I think that's what Mario was going after. We were sitting here, you know, blaming, oh, gosh, he's taking so long. And But I think he kind of targeted in his own mind coaches who would change the landscape of the team and not just come in and, you know, be another dude that, you know, like last year. I mean, he already knows that in Mirabal that he's got somebody who's going to have his back forever. So, and then the guy's a really good coach and he knows the offensive line. And uh, I think that's the one surprise when a lot of these guys have never met him before and see that he's like five, six or five, seven. And they go, man, he's an offensive line coach, but then they see how much he knows. And, you know, as well as I do guys that any position it's for you're better uh, because of the technique that, you know, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how, who's teaching it to you. Uh, it's just that, you know, they're drumming it to you where you're going to maximize that six, six, 320 pound frame. You know, I mean, there used to be a joke going around like, Oh, we got a six, six, 320 pounder, but can't play football. He'd be a great bouncer, but he, he couldn't, you know, he can't play football. And I think that's what Miami has. That's their target. This last class, the transfer portal looking ahead. And I think that's, uh, I think we see a lot better, a lot more energy uh, this spring and it'll carry right through to the summer. Would you yeah. say that this coaching staff in particular is more technically focused than the last group as in paying attention to the fundamentals execution and things like that? I'm not saying that the last staff completely blew that off, but would you say that there's a sense of, you know, trying to practice good habits and, you know, translating that over because, you know, at times last year, and you mentioned the Middle Tennessee um, game, you know, the team looked like, like you said, disinterested and, disor- and you know, kind of disoriented and kind of not focusing on the little things. Do you sense that there's a more emphasis, uh, more of an emphasis on that with the hungrier staff? You know, DJ, you bring up a good point because, and the one thing that I say is last year, and I've, I've said this over and over on this program and on, on our uh, weekly get togethers that Mario Cristobal, when I first met with him last May and we sat down and we talked, uh, he said to me, he says, what do you think the reason why Miami gets these guys and they don't really work out? And I said, well, the truth is, is they're, they're not being coached up. I mean, they're really not learning the X's and O's. And he looked at me, he goes, that'll never be a problem here. And I think the fact that there was a problem uh, last year that he was, he was re- angered by that. And uh, cause you know, he comes in with all get guns blazing and he tells you what he thinks should be done. And then the first year it really wasn't done. It really wasn't. I mean, none, I don't, other than Kitchens and a couple of other people who got better, you know, than the year before, not a whole lot of guys, Corey flag remained consistent, but he's going to be the same type of dude. You know, he's going to make plays. He's not going to wow you with his size, but I think that's the big thing. The coaching staff that they have now will individually take it upon themselves to ensure that their group raises the bar. And I think, I don't think you had that last year. I mean, you had that out of your offensive line coach, maybe a die because he's been around situations, but I don't think that Charlie, or I don't think that Steele or some of the other coaches 
that were on hand. I just don't think that they were, you know, we knew Gaddis when he wasn't listening to anybody. I mean, that can't be. You just can't have that. I mean, you're, you can't have a coach who's a renegade. You got to be kidding me. I mean, you know, you, you've got to be on the same page. You've got, you know, you're all playing for the same deal. And, uh, and I have a feeling that, you know, just talking to some people that Dawson's just been completely opposite of what, what has happened. He's reaching out to Mirabal. He's, you know, calling KB Kevin into his office and talking to him. He's talking a little bit with Timmy Harris and, and remember he's the quarterback coach now, so he doesn't have to go through another channel there. So, from the offensive standpoint, I think that that everybody's buying in. Defensively, you have high-energy people with a lot of knowledge. I, people don't know Nicholson. I've, uh, you know, I've covered that guy since you know back in the day, and he was a great football player. He's been a tremendous coach, and he's got a lot of pride about himself. And uh, you know, and you look there, and then now with Jason Taylor, and I could tell you firsthand. People go, oh, Jason Taylor is prima donna. Is no, he's not. I've watched him when he was at St. Thomas Aquinas, and the man actually like you could. He was angry after they lost. If they, you know, they didn't lose much, but when they did lose, um, and I saw him firsthand change kids around. I tell you about Nick Benito. I tell you about uh, you know about Dallas, who now starts for Alabama, and he only had him for a year, and um, yeah. Uh, you have guys now on staff that are going to teach the game of football and not just say, oh, we got this team, let's watch film. No, you you know, you can watch all the film you want. If you can't, don't have the technical uh, savvy and you don't have the knowledge of, of playing a position, you're going to get this, you're going to get the five and seven years uh, like you got last year. That's why I say, even though Miami's schedule, and a lot of people don't understand, it's challenging. To win seven games is going to be challenged because, like I said, I know those three out of the last four games, and I'm even going to include Boston College. Miami doesn't do well up there. When's the last time they won there? You know, when Ed Reed was uh, – <laughs> I mean, it, it's been a long time. So, And you got FSU at the tail end. Uh, those two games in the middle – are going to be really tough with Clemson and North Carolina. Um, so Miami's got to get off, and they'll get off to a good start. The A&M game, obviously, is going to be a challenge, but I still think, you know, Miami knows in their heart of hearts, even as bad as things were last year, they could have, they should, and you know, uh, Vish, you were there. So, I mean, they could have won and easily won that game. So, yeah, I think that they'll get off to a really good start, and then, the key games will be those two games in the middle, and that's uh, we'll see what happens. But they've they can't not go to a bowl game this year. If they don't, if they do, it's gonna it's gonna kind of reflect on the twenty twenty four class uh, in recruiting. Yeah, and and just you know, I think one of the things last year is we got all, and I was certainly probably the most guilty of this on the show. But um, you know, we saw the names and, and we we looked at the resumes and we hired the resumes. We didn't hire the people, and the Very staff was point. the staff was incoherent. Um, there wasn't a clear separation of duties because everyone was out of position essentially. Because you hire, you know, if you hire an offense coordinator to be your quarterbacks coach, you're going to want input on the offense. Maybe you should think about that and figure out is that going to work well with my offense coordinator? I understand you say Gas was renegade. I mean, he is the offensive coordinator. If that's the way he operates, you frankly need to need to fill out the rest of his staff with coaches that are comfortable with that. 
Instead, you kind of, you know, you had Pons, who's used to actually calling the plays. You're telling him, yeah. not only are not only you're not calling the plays anymore, you're not going to get input. And I think that was the whole staff. Charlie Strong is a linebackers coach. Like Steele, <laughs> he has been around forever. I think it was a it was a combination of I think some of them, and I don't think this applies to Gaddis, by the way. But I think some of them were lazy. Like this was kind of a retirement job and to go down yeah. to Miami and chill. Um, I think that was probably more a case on the defensive side than the offensive side. I think the offensive side just broke. <laughs> Frankly, look, I don't think Gaddis is being lazy. I think he couldn't figure it out. He closed off from the rest of his coaching staff. There was a lot of tension there. I mean, if you're not in community, if you're the offensive coordinator and not the quarterback's coach and you don't have a good relationship with the quarterback's coach, you're not going to be able to pass the football. I mean, that's just uh, how are you going to move the ball, right? So I think yeah, that, was, well, that, that, was, that was a big mess. But I do think several of the defensive coaches especially were kind of like showed up with very impressive resumes and with what they felt was nothing to prove and weren't willing to put the work in to prove it. And that's why you see several of them gone. I mean, because if, if you think about it, like Cristobal had the easy option of saying, Charlie Strong, you're the defensive coordinator now. Steele went to Bama. And he instead essentially told him to get out. <laughs> so yeah. I think I think he learned his lesson from that. And I'm hoping, you know, I'm hoping there's just a clear, there's a million things a football program has to do to be successful. And there's a limited number of coaches. This is not the NFL where you have like a third down offensive coach that just coaches third downs. Like they literally that specialize in the NFL. They have coaches for everything. You don't have that in college. So you got to make sure everyone knows these are my responsibilities and it changes program to program. It changes based on the makeup of the staff because different coaches are able to do different things. And I'm hoping, and, and we'll kind of know, you know, in the fall, but I'm hoping that in constructing this staff, he learned lessons from what he did last year, which is to get a lot of really great coaches on paper that did not have clear definitions of what they were supposed to be doing and, and did not really, you know, there wasn't a clear separation of duties. There was not a clear, okay, you're responsible for this. He's responsible for that. I felt like everyone was kind of stepping on each other's toes and you saw that out on the field. And, and frankly, once you start getting that tension, in the coaching staff, it filters down to the players. We, this first half of the year, I still go back to this a lot. Middle Tennessee was bad, but even in that game, AM, right? All these games in the first half of the year, we we're moving the ball up and down the field and not scoring. Remember, that was our big problem. How do we fix this red zone offense? Because if we can fix this red zone offense, we're going to have one of the best offenses of the ACC. Because we were like second or third in yardage and ninth in scoring. And it's like, all we have to do is get the scoring to catch up with the yardage. Unfortunately, the yardage caught up with the scoring. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. went the other it went the other direction um and that was probably some of the strain of kind of failing like i mean how many times do we fail inside the five yard line at the beginning of the year by the end of the year we weren't getting to the five yard line it completely the bottom fell out but you know that speaks to staff cohesion and, and kind of chemistry and not being able to work through challenges basically this team got punched in the face and folded as a as a program like the players did and the coaches did Blue called out a few that did not fall, like Cam Kinchin's right to the end. Even that last game, I'll, I'll, like I remember, you know, Will Mallory, he fumbled against Pitt, but he was playing so hard. I think he knew it was his last game, and he was like, I'm going out. I'm not going out without putting in the effort. And he was really, you know, it's but it, the fact that it's noticeable when you're watching these games, like, that guy's really trying. That's bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You shouldn't, you shouldn't notice that one guy is trying or a handful are trying because it should be all of them. It shouldn't be that obvious. But, you know, you could tell which guys were really like, wow, that guy's putting in a lot of effort today. And that's a bad thing because you shouldn't – it shouldn't be obvious because they should all be doing that. So Yeah. So I'm hoping for a lot more 
cohesion. You know it kills Mario of all people at, at yep. his core beliefs to watch that product out on the field, to watch them getting out-toughed and out-efforted. You know, there's a lot I think he'll be willing to tolerate, but that is like his core belief is you put the work in, you outwork your opponent, and you go out there and you play really hard. And we did basically the opposite. So I, I think, you know, it's a good thing the staff turned over and hopefully these are not the big names, right? It's kind of gone the other direction. And one of the things I always point to is if there was a right way to do this, everyone would just do it. There's no easy answers in football. And frankly, I hate to say this, most coaching, most, most coaching hires fail, right? Yep. Period. So like we went and did and got a proven coach who, you know, taken a team to the cusp of the playoffs, won the Rose Bowl. And he put together a staff that failed. I mean, that's what happened. So all you can ask in that situation, it's not to do a specific thing. Because if if we knew what the answer was first, we would be running the program. Second, th- if there was an answer that was like, oh, that's going to work, everyone would just do it. It wouldn't be hard. It's hard because it's not obvious. It's hard because Bill Belichick can fail in Cleveland and then become the winningest coach in NFL history in New England. Right? right. That's why it's hard. You watch that Cleveland, watch him in Cleveland, there's no indication that this guy is going to dominate for two decades in New England. Like, there's no indication. That's why Same thing with Nick Saban. They were on the same staff. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. why. And, and yeah, no, his coaching tree permeated yeah. everything now, yeah. right? His Bill Belichick's influence on college and professional football is unbelievable. And he failed and got fired in Cleveland. Uh, you just can't tell. So all you can really ask is the obvious problems, they identify them and they try to fix them. And he has gone a completely – whether – whether by choice or by force, because it could have been he couldn't get anyone else to come in here. That could, that's definitely on the table. But either way, he's gone a completely different direction to Blue's point. These aren't the big names. These are the younger guys that are bringing more energy. They're trying to prove themselves because they, they have no resume to rest on at, at yeah. this level, right? They, they're trying to prove themselves at this level. So it's a complete change. And, you know, that's all you can ask for is like fans or people following the program that they see – a disaster and they go and say, all right, we're going to change this. Now, is it going to work? <laughs> if we do, I, I would put some money down on it, frankly, by using price picks, by the way, offer code five. <laughs> but, um, well, but, but we don't, we don't know. Right. But the best you can hope for is that. And I think this is where Al Golden frustrated a lot of people by just saying, no, the defense is fine. We're going to keep going. It's like, it's not fine. It's terrible. Right. And, and so I think all you can ask for after what we saw last year is, Hey, I'm going to change things, and and we definitely got that. DJ, you want to get in here? Well, yeah, no, I was just thinking it's kind of a unique situation, right? Because when you hire young coaches, you also risk the chance that they could, you know, attract bigger jobs and get attention from, you know, bigger schools. Now, Miami is not a small school football-wise by any means, but that's the risk that you run with hiring a younger staff. Do I think it's a bad thing? No, I mean, if one of our coaches, you know, went to a better job or gained a ton of interest i would view that as a good thing and um you know the second thing i was going to say is you know i think it's easy to you know maybe maybe not easy but if you look at the schedule you see all these programs unc you know clemson even nc state to some degree they have had a foundational bedrock that has led them to success for the past couple seasons and the only thing that worries me with miami is that they don't necessarily have that bedrock yet under crystal ball with, you know, two new coaching staffs in two seasons. So it's going to be interesting to see how they fare in games, you know, against 
Clemson against North Carolina State. And, you know, maybe we will, you know, contend and, you know, play hard in those games and make it close. But just to see how big of a gap there is or there may not be because the coaching staff and the program continuity is certainly a big factor in being successful. Yeah. yeah no, I agree. Kinda, one more question here, Blue, you probably know. So what was the kind of level of effort in terms of recruiting? Do you, do you have any from the previous staff? Um, was it? Well, I mean, I think I've changed my philosophy because when someone says, oh, he's a great recruiter. Yeah, if you win, everybody's a great recruiter. You know, I mean, it's the whole, that's that's my estimation. Uh, Mario can go and close a lot of deals, but at the end of the day, if you take a step back and go, oh, wait a minute, Miami's four and seven or five and six. I don't care what Coach Cristobal says. I don't want to be a part of that. Winning cures all. And I think that all the coaches on staff have that potential. I mean, you know, I, I think the laughable thing was about Jason Taylor. Oh, he's not going to be a recruiter. He's, you know, this and that. No, come on. That guy walks into your your parents' uh, living room and, uh, you know, I mean, things will never be the same. So, exactly. I mean, having somebody like that is just so invaluable. And like I said, Timmy Harris, all you have to do is, you know, I mean, especially at the running back position. If he goes into a kid who's a top flight kid up in Georgia or Wisconsin or wherever he goes, say, look, look at the room. Look at how do how well we're doing over there. And you could be a part of that. That's how you recruit. I mean, you don't want to get into the to, into that situation where you're a salesman. Because if you're a salesman, you're not gonna be able to get repeat business. You know, I mean, if you start BSing people, you're just not gonna be able to. So the answer to that is everybody becomes a really good recruiter when they're winning. Uh, and, and I think in Mario's case, uh, you know, you, this, this class is perfect example of what he's about, you know, coming off this year. Uh, but a lot of those kids were already kind of committed before the season la ended last year. Uh, so I, I just think that this is such a, a an important year, uh, you know, for them to get over to 500 mark just so they can say, hey, look, we made progress. We're in a bowl game this year. And then, then everybody's still listening because you at least, you know, your return on what you did from the year before is visible right there. And I think that's, you know, the proof's got to be in the pudding. I mean, you can't use, oh, well, we played the tough schedule. Nah, who cares? Everybody plays a tough schedule. You know, I mean, everybody who's, you know, who who's moving forward does. I mean, I'm sure NC State and those schools could use the same, you know, thing. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's just it's just every my my point in this whole matter is that you got to you, you've got to play football and you got to develop these kids. And we know that that Mauagoa and all these other guys are uh, you know, were stud high school football players. But like I said, Chantrell Henderson was a stud high school football player. Never really got it done here. He was okay. Sam Shields was a pretty decent high school football player. Got here to add him out of position. He comes, goes and plays eight years in the NFL with the Packers as a DB. And I think that Will Mallory's got an opportunity, as I said last week, to be that next guy. But they really didn't use him here. I mean, you know, I don't think. I mean, they didn't target him as much as he should. And, you know, to his – Fault too, he dropped balls, you know he dropped uh, balls. But his and I said last week, you know, Vish, the two biggest plays that I remember uh, in his career here 
were long touchdowns that got called back. A 78-yarder and a 67-yarder where he outran everybody. And see, and that's what's going to happen at the next level. He's going to get in a situation where he's got wide receivers that can play, and you got a running game. And he, what he's going to do is he's going to draw safety coverage and he's going to blow right by them. And uh, those, but that has to be utilized here. Uh, so he never got coached up. He just matured on his own, I thought. Yeah, and it feels like that's been kind of a theme for 15 years, just not maximizing, <laughs> not getting the right players in, and then what we do get in, not maximizing them. We've had a lot of really good players come through this program that look markedly better on the professional level than they do at college, which should really never happen. This is easier this should be easier than the NFL, yet they get to the NFL and <clears throat> you see guys showing out. I mean, even someone like Gus Edwards had to leave the program and then Yeah. Still the in Ravens, the NFL. Yeah, he's the Ravens starting running back. I mean, this yeah. is <laughs> this, this is this is the level of you know, kind of roster mismanagement. KJ right, Osborne, who yeah. saved somebody last week. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, he's in a, he's done in, in a bar he, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah he from pulled out, yeah, he pulled some out of a fiery wreck. Right. Still got good hands. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he, he was he was actually he actually did. He was only here a year. I feel like he actually did show out here. You could tell. He yeah, was, yo, him and Rambo did both. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and but I would say a lot of there's a lot of people that spend several years here that just never really reach their potential and they go to the professional level. And they're like, we have guys all over the NFL still making plays on Sundays. I mean, Rayshon Jenkins put on one of the best yeah. best defensive against the, my Cowboys and beat them by himself, basically. But, um, you know, put on one of the best defensive performances in NFL history. Yeah. Barely. I mean, he was an okay safety here, but he never, <laughs> you know, it's just we yeah, can't. Yeah, there's nothing like that. Yeah, yeah. And then you can do that on the pro level when they get proper coaching and put in systems that, you know, fit their talent better. So, yeah. yeah. No well, well, let's hope we can get back to that. All right. Before we uh, wrap, we're, you know, we're about at the uh, hour mark. Before we wrap things up, uh, Blue, DJ, any thoughts on what's going on in the scroll there, which is, which is our basketball team? Um, obviously, big injury um, against yeah. Duke to Norchad O'Meara, but I guess I'll start with you, Blue. Um, do you have any thoughts on this game against Drake on Friday night? Obviously, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I'll be there. I'm going to do more you know, in-depth coverage of both the men's and the women's teams later in the week. So stay tuned for that, but. Got to shoot well. Got to shoot well. Yeah. And and as you said, with, uh, with Omer questionable, and even if he plays, he's not going to be anywhere near what they need. He's a, and he's their rebound dude. So uh, I think that, that they need all these guys to step up. I think that they have to shoot. I mean, it's imperative that they're going to have to, uh, you know, hit the three, I remember Pack went out also. He was hurt. So, I mean, you can't – a team that's thin, and they are, uh, you can't keep losing dudes. I mean, not just reserve kids. And, uh, yeah, and then the women really, you know, the 18-12 year, key win over the number one seed Virginia Tech, which uh, they beat earlier in the year. And uh, so they also know – I mean, they have a – you know, it's going to be a – you know, it's going to be a tough ride for him, but, uh, you know, just for her to get there year in and year out, um, is a testament to what that program. And, you know, it's good to see Miami in the, in both, both women and men in the postseason. you know, I mean, whether they go, 
you know, one deep, two deep, whatever they go, at least they're there. You know I mean? It's, and we found out how important it is not to be in the postseason with a football program last year, because every damn game you watch, you go, Oh my gosh, how are they there? You know, and you don't want that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just, just for the, for the men. So Drake is actually a similar team to Miami they play a lot of wings. They shoot the three ball really well. So um, I guess the concern, obviously, outside of Omir being injured, and if he does not play or is not 100%, you're going to have to team rebound because yeah, he basically yeah. rebounds for the whole team. But outside of that, this Miami team has not been good defensively. This no. it's, it's all been scoring. And if they yeah. let Drake get going from outside, and, and you know, yeah, you can it can get. Be tough. Well, I mean, I feel like Miami can score with anyone. They've shown that this year. They have one of the top offenses in the country. But you, yeah, yeah. But you really want to hopefully play better defense than that to avoid. You know, they can win a game, and they've done this multiple times, eighty-five to eighty or ninety to eighty-five. Miami is capable of winning those games. They've done it. You don't want to give up eighty and then try to outscore that. So hopefully they can. You know, with the postseason, they can get the. There's no reason they should be this poor defensively. I understand sometimes with the size mismatch, it, it'll happen. Like there's no rim. Pre- even Omir is not really a rim protector. He, he get, does a good job with body positioning, but at the end of the day, he's still six seven, so it's not hard to shoot over him when when you guys get to the rim. And Duke's big men just crushed them. I mean, after after you didn't have him in there, it was basically over. Mm. Um, but he does a good job of post defense because he's big and he can force them out of position. But in terms of like help defense and you know guards are able to get to the rim and elevate and score because he's not gonna you know necessarily be able to get up there and, and be the rim protector. So. There's an element of that, but they gotta keep people out of the paint. Um, Nigel Peck's defense isn't isn't great, um, and he's also undersized, so it's tough. And Drake has one of the best mid-major players in the country. He's actually the coach's son. Yeah, <laughs> that'll be an interesting one. I'm assuming Wuggle will have to guard him initially because he's six seven. If they play smaller, maybe Jordan Miller. Jordan Miller has been Jordan Miller has been, I think, the MVP down the Yeah, stretch. well, yeah, no, I mean he's so the. the that's why offensively there's so many weapons. That's almost like someone will, someone will score, the points will get there, but the defense is, is the problem. And if they can play good defense, they can, frankly, dominate Drake because Drake is not going to run the ball through the post and really take advantage of Miami's lack of size. But they can shoot over the top of them. It pro- reminds me a little bit of, of Virginia Tech and how they played Miami and played them tight. Miami was able to win those games, but just you know dropping three-pointers on them. Remember that was the game at home where – Nigel Pack scored like 12 points in, in a minute or whatever and, and blew the game open. But like, yeah, Virginia is very similar to that. They have a bunch of wings that can shoot and that, and the coach's son, DeVries, now he's at six, seven, can shoot the three, but he's good off the ball, creates his own shot. They're going to have to defend him. And the other thing with Omir, if he's not 100%, which it's hard to imagine he'd be 100% if he was playing, Miami does a lot of aggressive trapping with him. And you kind of got to wonder if they're going to be able to do that. Um, without without him healthy if he's able to move and, and kind of get out there and, and actually trap because that is how they force one thing Miami does do well defensively force a lot of steals turns it into offense so we'll have more on that later in the week and then for the women I mean it's they great job getting to the tournament um their first game they're the ninth seed so Oklahoma State's technically a higher seed I actually think that's a really good matchup for the women Oklahoma State does not have a lot of size and Miami has three bigs they can run in yeah there. Yeah. Um, they got some outside shooting too. So. Yeah, and got outside shooting and just a lot of depth. So I like the matchup in the first game, but after that, you're playing at Indiana. Yeah, forget. <laughs> and that, this is at some point they have to stop doing this in women's basketball. Like you can't. 
I get it. And I don't know. I, I don't think Miami would beat Indiana neutral site. Frankly, I don't think they'd beat them in Coral Gables. Indiana's that good. So I don't think it actually matters, but it's basically, it's a death sentence. <laughs> when you get the yeah. denied spot last year it was South Carolina, this year it's Indiana, but they, they, there should not be a system where you're like, Oh, I'd rather be the 10 seed than the nine seed. Cause maybe you can upset a two seed on the road, but a one seed there's a, there's a gap there. Um, Huge and, gap. Yeah. And it's just, at some point they have to stop doing that and just either send and send them to neutral sites. Cause this is like asking, I mean, that, you, you don't want to create a situation where I was actually hoping we'd somehow slide to the 11 somewhere. <laughs> it makes the first game much harder. Cause now you're playing a six seed. But if we can get through that. We could be a three seed on the road, but but oh yeah, Indiana's probably a bridge too far. Still, like like Blue said, this is two years in a row with both programs in the tournament, and you know there there were some dry spells recently. But they both, even though there's a lot of players leaving both programs, they seem to kind of be on a treadmill now of moving forward. So this might be here for a while. Um, people have to get used to Miami in, in the postseason. Yeah, DJ, I have no idea if you have any thoughts on Miami basketball. Well, no, I, just, I have been watching them, and, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about it off air um, for the men, you know, and, you know, they kind of have hit a wall a little bit over these last couple of games. They've played a little bit sluggish, so they just need to come out stronger on Friday, and it's a bad time for them to hit that wall, so to speak. But, I mean, it's a long season, and that will happen, so I'm curious to see how they play. I really am because, you know, we've seen – um, on many occasions this season, you know, very high highs and some low lows. So hopefully they can bring their A game and uh, advance farther. Because that Duke game, I mean, credit to Duke. They are a good program, but, man, it was frustrating. Yeah. It was – It was. there were so many – I mean, obviously when you lose O'Meara, Duke is, yep. is one of the biggest teams in the country. So I'm like, all right, we're basically playing with a small forward at center for the whole Everybody game Everybody knew <laughs> what was going to happen, but we couldn't stop it. Well, there was no, I mean, we just don't have the size. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, you know, we. I thought that one's such a tough game to read because I thought we played hard, played well, stuck in the game. Mm. You know, it was a one-point game late, and there was just to be blunt, an atrocious officiating possession where there was a hell ball they called a foul on. Then there was a ball where Duke clearly knocked it out in the game, the ball back, and then they called a foul on a three-point shooter. Both those fouls in that sequence were on Wong. He had to go sit out. They shot three free throws. All of a sudden, you're down four with Omir out injured and Wong sitting on the bench in foul trouble. And that's kind of where Duke actually put the game away. So, um, but there's no moral victories. And Jordan Miller said after the game, you know, Norchad's important, but we come here to win games and you got to win with whoever's there. And I think they'll take that mentality into this weekend. And, yeah, I mean, uh, I will say Drake is everyone's favorite upset pick right now. If you if you kind of read around, but I have I, seen that, yeah. But I actually Drake and I, Penn State are the two big teams that yeah. everyone's talking about. Penn State's yeah. on a roll too. Yeah, but I actually think this Miami team is well suited to play mid majors because they're used to playing up and down, and they're used to playing open ball, and they're used to playing small ball, and mid majors tend to have success when they go against these bigger teams that aren't used to chasing them around. Right. And they get buried under three pointers and, mm-hmm. you know, and against teams that aren't used to, that aren't as good offensively as Miami. And then, you know, you fall behind early because you're messing up your defensive coverage because you're not used to the, the power forward being six, three and hitting three pointers. And then, you know, for teams that aren't good at offense, that could take a long time to make those points up for, for Miami. That doesn't usually tend to be an issue. So I, 
I'm more confident that I think most everyone else is in this team to at least win on Friday, but but we'll see. At least you'll be there. Yeah. Oh boy. If they lose, man, you'll you'll see me exiting that arena. You'll, and, I, you'll be a tour guy for in Albany from now on. You'll oh, say, man, you know what? I got a bunch of places you can go. Man, <laughs> if, if we lose on Friday, you will see me like on American Airlines website ten minutes later trying to figure <laughs> out what I can move my flight up to to get the hell out of there. <laughs> It's going to be freezing. There's going to be snow everywhere. It, it'll stop snowing. But it's not going to be fun. It's, it's, gonna it's, be gonna, fun. it's going to be a nasty time. And if we lose the first game on top of it, that'll be kind of time to leave. Um, that'll be the icing on the cake, so to speak. <laughs> I did briefly look to see how, how easy it would be to get to Bloomington from, from there, um, where the women are playing uh, on Saturday. So the games are offset, but it wasn't really feasible. Although, it, to go there and try to come back. But if the men bounce out, maybe I'll see if I can get over there to watch it. Yeah, might um, as well. <laughs> might as well quick. Well, quick, well I could go to Bloomington. I could just yeah. go to Bloomington, then come back to DC from there on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Versus, uh, definitely not staying in Albany. If we lose on Friday, I'm getting out no. of there. Because no, no, right no. now, I'm not leaving till Monday morning. So I don't. If we win, oh, you, you, well, you don't know when. You don't know when the game would be on Sunday, so you can't. Like last year when we played Auburn, it was like at night, like at I think 8 p.m. So you don't know until until they have the matchups. They don't set the game times on Sunday. So you just have to assume I might have to be here all day. Yeah. And so right. I, I took the first flight out on, on Monday morning. But if, if we lose on Friday, there's no <laughs> chance. I'm staying there. <laughs> I, I have exit stage left uh, back to here. <laughs> so let's we'll hope see. that's Hopefully not the that case. doesn't happen and I can at least, like, you know, see us win a game there. Let's hope you enjoy your stay and that it's a long one. Yeah. Yeah. As good as it can be in freezing Albany, New York. But I have, I have, Never been to Albany, and I've heard a lot of Albany slander the last like twenty four. Like that place is horrible. Why are they playing there? And I'm just it's like... not the best, but I will say college hockey has also uh, had had Albany as a host for the Frozen Four. So I guess it's a popular venue for. Uh, I think for the arena is, is supposed to be good. Yeah, um, it's not they like NCA wrestling there about six years ago. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I know it's right by the state capitol, so I guess I'll check that out. At least they have the venues, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, by the way, if the Canes win both games, they will be in Kansas City in uh, two weeks. So, Would you go out there? I mean, I'm almost committed at this point. <laughs> True, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. I have no – I'm assuming it would be – maybe it would be – you know what? It might actually be hard to get to Kansas City. I'll have to look into that because this was shockingly easy, the number of flights from D.C. to Albany. On little puddle jumpers, so yeah, um, yeah. Kansas City no, might Kansas actually City's be kind of a, but it's a bigger a city. You figure it'd be easier to get to, but it might not be just because like this was kind of easy. Um, but anyway, yeah, I think that would be the plan. Uh, <laughs> and if the women somehow pull off a massive upset, they'll be at Greenville. I feel like if the women beat Indiana, some like beat Oklahoma State, Indiana, I have to go to Greenville instead. Like yeah. at that point, at that point, you got. You, you gotta honor that. Warmer, you, you, know? gotta, you gotta honor that, and I can probably maybe drive. I don't know. Anyway, uh, anyway, those are good problems to have. So let's let's hope the the teams don't bounce out early. Anyway, like I said, I'll have more coverage later in the week. My midweek stuff. Um, Blue actually touched off on the touched on this earlier. Just you know, Jazz is in here, but we'll throw a little baseball out there. The Canes were really that lost four or five. Going up against NC State this weekend. NC State was undefeated, won the series. So big, big kind of turnaround there. Although the Sunday game was a complete disaster. So still gotta figure out the rotation, but that was that was a needed win. It this could yeah. 
this weekend they're hosting Virginia Tech, who's ranked, and then next weekend they're at Wake Forest. The weekend after that, at Wake Forest, who's the top five team. If they didn't win the, the series this weekend, this thing could have spiraled all the way out of control. So it's a big, big win. Um, but anyway, a lot more than that on my midweek, whatever we're calling it thing. Um, anyway, Blue, DJ, any final thoughts before we kind of sign off here? No, you, we think we covered it all. No, we've covered yeah. everything from uh, TV contracts to uh, flights to Bloomington, Indiana. So. Yeah. Thank you for staying, Al. That was a very random hour and nine minutes, but we tried our best. Well, we 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 got we 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 we, we got conference alignment. We got coaching stuff. We got both hoops programs. We got baseball. You get a full service show here. Thank yeah. goodness for Blue because he yeah. he had a lot of useful information that, quite frankly, yeah. I didn't have. I'm sure so. it was a, it was a collaboration of everybody, like it is every week. True. That's what makes the show so good. It's fun. I have every single week. I look forward to this. So. Good stuff. Yeah, no, it's a good time. Um, Enjoy. All right, yeah. Well, all right, thanks guys. everyone for for listening um, and watching and uh, watch our F one show hitting the apex uh, Wednesday at eight pm. And uh, I'll have some stuff, you know, scheduled and published on on the on the uh, YouTube channel previewing awesome. the basketball nice. and from Albany as well. Assuming I can, you know, not freeze to death, but uh, <laughs> those will be from indoors. I'm assuming. Anyway, other other than that, we'll catch you guys next week, same time, right. same place. The Six Rig Kane Show. The Six Rig Kane Show. The Six Rings Kane Show. Uh You know.